morning. Good morning. Nothing. I'm getting nothing. Good morning. Today's scripture reading comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 21, verses 15 to 19. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him a third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. I just feel like I need to say that again. <laughs> um, we've been going through the questions of Jesus uh, throughout his teachings. And this morning we come to uh, one ultimate question, a simple question, but yet profound uh, for the Christian life. Do you love me? Before we dive all the way in here, uh, let me say a word of prayer as we begin. Lord Jesus, you are here with us. We're grateful for that. God, we have been celebrating the risen Lamb of God, and we are glad about it this morning. We ask that you will visit with us, lead us in this time, open our hearts and minds and ears and eyes to behold wonderful, life-giving things from this portion of your word, oh God. Thank you so much for being our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's take a sip of my water. Might take a sip of this woman. Do you love me? That's what Jesus asked here has me thinking about a time when I was a single man, by myself, had friends, didn't have to think about narrowing down my love uh, to another person until Crystal and I decided to wash our cars together. And then as we washed our cars, we just grazed each other, bumped into each other, and then something sparked. It was love. It was love because... I was what, what people used to call a bachelor to the rapture. Uh, and so I didn't have my heart set on entering a relationship or I didn't have my heart set on dating or marriage or anything like that. I had my, my mind focused on further studies uh, in theology. But God had a surprise for me. It was Christian. And so as we began to date, we got engaged, and, and then we did go off in, into seminary training. And I remember those days well, because those were the days, in the, especially the first couple of years, where it seemed to be like a competition. Like, 
am I loving my studies more than I'm loving Crystal? You know, it's like this sort of tension that was going on, this war going on. Here I am studying, and there she was feeling like she's not getting more of my time. I'm like, no, I have to do all this. is hard work. We had a lot of conversations those years. But rest assured, there is a lot of competition in our hearts for love. Love is this universal principle. It is this universal way of being that God has put in our hearts, put in human nature. Even as fallen human beings, we still find ourselves enamored with love. We still find ourselves throughout the ages of time writing love songs, speaking of love, falling in love, being affectionate, having friendships. We find ourselves enamored by this. And you don't have to be a Christian in order to love someone. They're your children. They're your, your, your parents. There's somebody who's done good to you that you may have deep and abiding affection for. Love is everlasting. We want to be loved. And this is what God promises to broken and sinful people. He promises that he will love us. I guess by now, most people around the world know that God is a God of love. We want the the universal and the supreme being to love us unconditionally. We want there to be some kind of promise that we're going to be okay. And God does deliver, for he made us after all. He does deliver his love to humanity. God is the one who said he made us and he will take care of us. There's no doubt about it. You begin to read from the beginning of scriptures to the end, we see this common theme of love. There in Deuteronomy, God is, is with the people through Moses, and, and he is in preparing the people to enter into the promised land of love. It was the lo- love of God that promised that I'm going to bring you into a land of your own and make you a great nation. And that they were... And Moses reminded them, hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the theme continues through scripture. When Jesus shows up, he says the same thing when he's tested by the lawyer. What is the greatest commandment? Jesus was asked. Love God. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. So you begin to see that God hasn't moved away from this grand theme of love, loving his people in the world. And yet we do live with a huge, big problem. We don't know how to love well. We don't know how to love well. Our motivation of love is sometimes lacking. Sometimes we love quite selfishly. Sometimes we love jealously to get what we want. Sometimes it's not love at all. It's just just hate. But Jesus shows up to teach us how to love. There he is with his disciples for almost three years, loving them, showing them the way of love, 
telling them the truth about his mission in the world, teaching them how to be obedient to God, which is love. And we come to this place where Jesus tells his disciples, you will all fall away because of me this night. It was the night that he was betrayed. For it is written, he says, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I'm raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Like he often did, Peter spoke up and he answered Jesus. Though they all will fall away because of you, I will never fall away. Peter, so bold, so beautiful, so boastful in himself, in all his strength. Going to love you, Jesus, over the highest mountain, of course. Going to love you, Jesus, swimming through the deepest sea. Going to love you, Jesus, through the driest desert. Nothing, nothing is going to stop me from going to the end with you. Peter promises, and then Jesus says, even if I must die with you, I will not deny you, is what Peter says. And all the disciples said the same. All of them said the same thing. But G- Jesus responds to Peter that truly, truly, I, I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. So here's Jesus telling the truth about what's going to happen. And here's Peter not being able to accept this truth. Because he can't fathom falling away and denying the greatest love of his life. You know, this is Peter who said, you have salvation. We've left all to follow you. This is Peter who stood up for Jesus in the garden, carrying his sword. So the actions were there. The actions of love were there. But there are limitations in Peter's heart because Jesus was taken away and betrayed at the kiss of Judas. Taken to the high priest's house that night he was betrayed. Peter and another disciple, says John, follow from a distance. Then Peter was outside in the courtyard and a servant girl came up to him and said, hey, you're that Galilean that was with Jesus. But he denied it before them all, saying, I do not know what you mean. And when he went out to the entrance, another servant girl saw him and said to the bystanders, this is the man who is with Jesus of Nazareth. And again, he denied it with an oath that time. You know, an oath is pretty strong, right? This is a formal calling upon the name of God as a a guy. Be my witness that I'm telling the truth right now. Even though he was lying, he said, I don't know the man. And after a little while, the bystanders came up and said to Peter, certainly you are, you too are one of them, for your accent betrays you. Then he began to invoke curses on himself and to swear, I do not know the man. And immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and he looked. Imagine what that was like. Here's Jesus 
before the men that were about to beat him and flog him and accuse him and spit on him and take him to the cross. And here's Peter in the courtyard. Jesus is up there somewhere. Peter's back here. And Jesus makes it a point to lock eyes with Peter. Imagine what Peter must have experienced during that time. His eyes locked with Jesus. His eyes locked with Jesus' eyes. I wonder if his eyes fell with shame. I wonder if he felt a little queasy inside. Because he knew that Jesus knew that what Jesus said came true. He denied him three times. The rooster gave testimony that he denied him. And there is Peter in that courtyard. And there is Peter going out of the courtyard. Why? Because he's bitterly weeping because he realized what he's just done. And he's guilty as charged. Uh, You know, guilty at denying the love of his life. The only one who who has lived a sinless life, never harmed anyone. Here's Peter going back on his own word. Though they all may fall away, I will never fall away. It is a difficult thing to love to the uttermost. It's difficult to give your life out of love. It's rare to find that. It's hard in the face of opposition to say, yes, I know Jesus. Yes, I'll stand with him when your life may be on the line. But you see, this is what Jesus does in this passage. Jesus reveals himself as the true love to broken sinners. He told them that he would go to Galilee before them. And then Peter decides to go fishing, and six of them uh, joined Peter in this fishing expedition. And they struggled all night to catch fish. And then there's Jesus the next morning on the shore. And he tells them, cast a net on the right side of the boat, and they will find some. And they did. Jesus caused about 153 fish to come into the nets. And they had so many that they could barely haul them in. And John recognized Jesus. Jesus opened his eyes to see who he is on that shore. He recognized him. And there's Peter. He jumped out of the boat about 100 yards away and began to swim to Jesus. His heart must have been pounding. It's Jesus. He takes off. You know how it is when someone is excited to see you and hasn't, haven't seen you in the wild and, and don't know when they're going to see you next. You see them and both of you, hey, hello. You don't know what to do, right? Just hug. You may hug again. This is after Jesus was resurrected. Some days before he was crucified and he, he, was, he was raised from the dead. So, of course, Peter's excited to see him jump into the water. And so Jesus had already prepared breakfast for them over hot charcoal. He instructed them to bring some of the fish on over. So they can all enjoy it together. (laughs) You know, throughout scripture, we realize that God over and over and over again reveals himself to his people. 
he does reveal that he is the great love of our lives. He's done it in Israel. Even the pages of the Bible just drips with the love of God. It's hardly any place where you can go without seeing God's love for us. We are astounded by the love of God because we realize that we don't deserve it. We can't earn it even. We don't merit it. We don't preserve it even. Love comes through faith. As the Apostle Paul once said, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. And this love is the thing that distinguishes God's people from the rest of the world. But here in this passage, Jesus comes to reinstate, reinstore Peter after he denies him, after he on an oath says that he doesn't know him. And so Peter is still, is still is in sin here. And so Jesus comes, and there's a question of love for Peter, and then there's a call to lead and a life to live. Let's look at these three things. A question of love, call to lead, and a life to live. So here's Jesus in verse um, 15, 16, and 17, asking Peter three times, do you love me? Jesus uses Peter's formal name to address him. Remember, Peter is a nickname that Jesus gave to him. But here, when Jesus speaks with him, he says, Simon, son of John, his formal name. And he says, do you love me? And one, the first question he says, do you love me more than this? Now, there is some kind of some debate around who are the these in this question. Is it the fish? Is it his career as a fisherman, the, the boat? But most scholars kind of land on that it's possible that Jesus is asking, do you have love that's greater than a love for these men of old? Where is your devotion to me? Is it greater than your devotion to others? And three times Peter affirms his love for Jesus. When Jesus asked Peter the third time, do you love me? Peter is moved with sadness, though. You know, it's like a deepening in the heart. Do you love me? Yes, I love you. Do you love me? Yes. Do you love me? The third time, Peter says to Jesus, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. You see, Peter can no longer stand on his testimony about his love for Jesus. He has to say, Jesus, you know all things, appealing to Jesus' testimony of his heart. Because that's where we want to stand at the end of the day. Jesus, you know, though others may accuse me and tell me that I don't trust you, I don't love you, that I'm not living in you. Jesus, you know where my heart is and where my affection is for you. I can say yes all day long, but Jesus, you really know that I sinned against you and that I've repented, I've turned, I've jumped in the water to run toward, to swim towards you. I've turned from the denial and I turn to you, Jesus. Jesus, you know the depths of my love and my heart for you. Though limited, you do know it. No question. 
of his love for Jesus. It reminds me of a story I heard last week about this mother uh, who had hens that were unattractive. And her daughter was ashamed of her hens. She didn't know what it meant that her mom's hens were scarred. And so she, when the mom would take her to school and hold her hands, she began to be uneasy about her mother's hands and question, like, what, you know, do people like me? Does, you know, my mom's hands are embarrassing. The love of her mom was questioned. As in, so she did not know that her mom did quite the heroic event. She climbed up the side of a house, burning with her child inside on the second floor. When the firefighters just didn't see any way in, she decided to climb up this hot pipe on the side of the house to go into the second floor to to retrieve her daughter. And so her hands were scarred from doing that. And so when her daughter learned about these things years later, later, her heart was melted. Of course her heart was melted. That those hands bore the scars of love. And so we too have a Savior whose hands bear the scars of love, both now and for eternity. His side does. The crown of his head does. Where the thorns were placed. His feet are scarred, filled with love for you and for me, for Jesus dying on the cross for us. And so sometimes it's hard for us to know that Jesus loves us, but see here in this passage, Jesus is asking Peter, do you love me? This is how you will know my love for you. I first loved you, and so in return, Give your wholehearted devotion to me. This is how you will know my great love for you. Because sometimes if you're like me, church, I spend a lot of time wondering, does God really love me? Does he really care for me? Am I covered? Am I lying down and waking? Am I in him? This wrestling. But God is turning our attention to loving him. Giving our greatest devotion to him. Serving him, not paying attention to ourselves so much to pity ourselves, but turning and running and doing what God has told us to do. The chief thing is to love him. So what gets in our way today? What gets in the way of our devotion and our love for God? It might be impatience for some. We're just impatient with Jesus. Maybe we're mad at Jesus. Maybe uh, there's some envy in our hearts, envy towards neighbor. Maybe it's boasting about what we have. Realize it's not love. Maybe it's being prideful. Maybe it's just being rude and thinking we, that person deserved it when we're rude to them. We learn this from 1 Corinthians 13, that love is this. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. 
And this is what Paul says. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. For love to end, that means God has to cease to exist for you and for me. Love never ends, and love doesn't just stop with Jesus. He extends his love to us, and by the power of his spirit, we have that same love in our hearts to give towards him and towards one another. We must pursue love. And we are the ones, as we learn through Colossians 3, that we can put on as God's chosen people, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, We can be kind. We can be humble. We can be patient. We can bear with one another. We can forgive one another as the Lord has forgiven us. But but you see, the thing above all that we are encouraged to put on is love. Because what does love do? It binds everything together. So we must have a single devotion to the one who has loved us. Because when we love Jesus, all the other loves in our lives, they will have their rightful place. They will be filled with life. But if we don't devote our love to Jesus, there is no life for us. There's no other way for a Christian to live than by the love of God, Jesus and his body. Here is a question, a question of love, and here is a call for Peter to leave. Jesus recommissions Peter because he denied him. He turned away from him. And this is what Jesus wants Peter to do. Shepherd the flock. Feed my lambs. Jesus commissions him to do this. As one scholar notes, whatever potential for future service Peter had, therefore, dependent not only on forgiveness from Jesus, but also on reinstatement amongst the disciples. They must see that he's restored too. The flock belongs to who? None other than Jesus. Jesus. Your roommate belongs to Jesus if he's in Christ. Your mother belongs to Jesus. Your daughter Your friend, your spouse belong to Jesus. Jesus is flock. So we have to be careful about how we treat one another. And so Jesus is calling Peter here to do the work of a shepherd. Feeding, teaching, leading, serving, speaking words of love to the flock, tending to them. And we learn through 1 Peter that The Lord grew him in this, that he could speak about it, that is written down in sacred scripture. In 1 Peter 5, he tells the elders in the diaspora, and he calls himself a fellow elder. He says he's a witness of Christ's suffering as well as a partaker of the glory. He believes it. He's been restored. And he tells them, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Exercising, not oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you to do. Not for gain, not, but eagerly, not domineering those in your charge, but be an example. For don't you know, so goes the chief shepherd 
goes to under shepherds and goes to people. <laughs> we all are called to be shepherds of one another. We all are called to have member care and member love towards one another, willingly, not domineering, willing to serve each other, not for gain, not quid pro quo, what you're going to do for me, I'm going to do something for you. No, but being examples of one another. Because as we grow in love, we build each other up, as it says in Ephesians. We build each other up in love, and we learn how to lead like Jesus. You know, Jay was very depressed. He had a job that he was a leader in, and he loved that job. He was, he was a devoted family man, and he was going to church, but he couldn't shake the bouts of depression. It just felt like every day that the weight was on him and he didn't want to get up. He, re- he can only remember the days where he felt great and energized and would move out in life. He didn't know what got in his way, but he was depressed. He went to see a counselor, and as the counselor worked with him, he didn't give hardly anything. It's almost like he didn't want to be there, though he knew he needed to be there. He was that depressed that he didn't even know where to start his story. And so as he came week in and week out and worked with the therapist, he began to share more and more. And then eventually, he decided, I want to go home. He moved back to the city of his birth, close to his family, which is one of the best things, right? Close to those that you love. Whenever there's no strife, of course. So he moved back to be close to them. And then he came alive again. It's just like, it's it's like a switch that went on for him. He's back in the same neighborhood. You know what he began to do? He began to move outside of himself and to serve those around him. And that broke the depression for him. Maybe something different from, for other people. But for him as a leader in that community, he began to serve, move out, and do the things that God desired for him to do. And he was restored through his service to Jesus, his devotion to God's people. What is through our service to one another? Our leading of one another. That's when we learn how to be most like Jesus. That's when we learn how to be most close to Jesus. That's when we come alive and we revigorate. No, we don't feel like coming to church all the time. (laughs) We don't want to serve all the time. We become tired and weary at times. Let's just be honest about that. We're limited. But God said, I'm going to give you the strength and the grace to get up and to change another diaper. I'm going to give you the strength and the motivation by my love to cook for your roommate, even when you don't want to. I'm going to give you the faith to believe and the people to come around you to love you so that though you may be out of employment right now, hold on. I have love to give. I am going to take care of you. So we are a community of people called to lead in this type of love. So there's a question 
a question of love. There's a call to lead, and then there's a life to live. Verse 18, truly, truly, I say to you, Jesus talking to Peter, when you were old, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This, he said, to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Peter, when you were young, you dressed yourself. When you were young, you went wherever you wanted. But when you're old, here's a prophecy. Most theologians believe that the, 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 the ancient writings show that the phrasing, stretch out your hands, means crucifixion on a cross. Jesus said, when you're old, you will stretch out your hand. And we have it here in the text that Jesus says this to show what kind of death he would to glorify God. So Peter has it. He's going to glorify God by the way that he dies and death itself. But he also is going to glorify God in following Jesus and following him. Because that brings everything in full circle. This is the very thing that Jesus had called him to do when Jesus called him. Jesus says, I'm going to make you fishers of men. Follow me. At every turn, he says, follow me. You may not understand everything that is that I'm doing right now. Follow me. You may not understand the hardship that you're going through in your heart right now. Follow me. There may be a struggle at your job right now, and an and employee that you're not getting along with. There may be some hardships there for you. Follow me is what Jesus says to us. Peter makes the bold promise that he would lay down his life for Jesus. He wanted to follow Jesus. The desire was there, but it was not his time because Peter wasn't going to lay down his life for Jesus on the cross, but Jesus became the perfect sacrifice for Peter so that Peter could continue to follow Jesus and live for Jesus. That's why he died on the cross for Peter, for you, and for me, so that our following him would never, ever be in vain. Jesus was resurrected. And so as we follow Jesus in this world, we're going to experience Jesus, more of his spirit, more of his truth as we follow him. For he has given us his spirit, that same spirit that raised him from the dead. So we are to follow Jesus by living by the power of the spirit. We're to follow Jesus in obedience that's our love to him. For he said, if you obey me and my word, you're the one that loves me. You're the one that's devoted. You're the one that's yielded. You're the one that I'm helping even now to follow me. This is a high and holy call to the flock of God that we will follow Jesus. 
But how do we know that we're following Jesus when we have great love for him? John, the apostle, writes in 1 John, I love this. This brings the plain language of the love of God to full picture. John writes to the people in chapter 4. He said, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, this is what we should do. We ought also to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. So the measure of our love for Jesus is shown in our love for one another. And that is the love that we see when we do for each other, when we do say kind words to each other. That's the love that we see when we exercise forgiveness over something that we have done to one another. It is, it is not love to hold a grudge and, and to, and to uh, uh, you know, sort of simmer in your heart some bitterness, but it's love to let it go because Christ has died for it. You can let it go. He is there to help. He is there because Christ has demonstrated his great love for us on the cross. And Christ gave us a chance to follow him to the uttermost parts of the world. He says, for I've given you an example himself that you should do as I have done. Heal the sick. Stand up for the, widow, the widows. Be there for the orphans. Stand up for the fatherless. And we have all three in our city, don't we? So many people have been bussed in already. Migrants and refugees. They have come. They have been brought by Jesus. <laughs> when you begin to think about what God is doing. So for the refugees and the migrants in our city, what can we do for them? Perhaps we would do like one of our neighbors did, invite 10 people to live with her. She said, I had the space. I just invited them to come and live with me. Maybe, uh, you know, we forego a lunch. And for a whole week, we go and sit with somebody who's, sleeping out in the elements, and we buy them lunch every day. There are many things that we can do to show the love of Christ to those around us as we do so to one another. Let's love like Jesus. He's given us an example that we should follow. Together, friends, let's trust him to follow him in love. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we pause and pray because we need to because we need you. So we ask, Lord, help us to remember your great love for us every day 
especially if we become distracted with the many things you've given us opportunity to do. So I pray, Lord, help us. Be our comfort. Be the, be the great love affair that we long for each day in our waking. Help us to reach towards you in love. Amen. Take a moment now to prepare for the Lord's Supper. I just want to take maybe four to five seconds to settle our hearts to come to the table of love. <laughs>